Hello, I'm Mike Baselli, and this is episode 14 of Passionate Pioneers. In this episode, we took the podcast to London, England during a business trip and spent time with the most watched surgeon in human history. Dr. Shafi Ahmed is a world-renowned, multi-award-winning surgeon, teacher, futurist, author, innovator, and entrepreneur at the Royal London and St. Bartholomew's Hospitals. Because of Dr. Ahmed's passion of merging the world of medicine, global education, and virtual and augmented reality to democratize and scale surgeon education, millions of people around the world are now able to further pursue their surgical passions. During this episode, Dr. Ahmed discussed how he was able to spot upstart technologies like Google Glass and their future potential to globally impact how millions can access learning, where he sees technology shaping the healthcare industry in the future and how other healthcare industry leaders can create an environment for their peers to leverage game-changing innovations to fundamentally impact an industry that touches every person. I want to thank Dr. Ahmed for spending time with me in London and sharing his mission in life on our podcast, to merge the world of medicine, global education, and virtual and augmented reality to democratize and scale surgeon education and to make it affordable and accessible to everyone by using the power of connected technology. It is my hope you will join Dr. Ahmed on his inspiring journey to make our globe a more equitable and educated place. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Dr. Shafi Ahmed, I'm honored to be able to spend time with you today during my travels here in London, one of my favorite cities in the world and a place you call home. Hey, Mike, great to see you in London. Finally, we get to meet. It is. It's great to be together here in the UK. I'm also incredibly excited to discuss with you what it means to be known as the world's virtual surgeon, as well as the most watched surgeon in human history. For our listening community, to put this in context a bit, Dr. Ahmed made global news in 2014 by streaming a live operation using Google Glass to 14,000 students and trainees across 132 countries. In April 2016, he performed the world's first virtual reality operation, which was watched by 55,000 people in 140 countries and reached 4.6 million people on Twitter. And in December 2016, Dr. Ahmed used the Snapchat spectacles to record and teach surgery across the globe, which has had over 100,000 downloads and viewed by over 2 million people and reached 54 million people on Twitter. Lastly, in November 2017, Dr. Ahmed conducted an operation while being joined by other surgeons from three continents and three time zones using avatars and holograms. Dr. Ahmed, this is going to be a captivating discussion today, and I cannot wait to dive in. But before we dive into how you are democratizing and scaling surgeon education around the world, a bit of housekeeping. For our audience, while listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to visit the episode notes to share feedback and ideas with our guests via our guest feedback form link and to nominate other passionate pioneers for a future episode via our guest nomination form link. 
And lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli in iTunes or Spotify. All right, Dr. Ahmed, let's take a moment to break the ice a bit before we dive into the heart of the matter here. Sure. All right, go ahead and choose one of the three. <laughs> okay, let me choose the, the middle one. All right, what do we got? So favorite meal, what is your favorite meal and why? Okay, so obviously coming from a, a Southeast Asian background, um, you know, rice and curry is our staple diet, of course. And so I think one of my favorite dishes is really um, something we create called king prawn biryani. This is using king prawns as a kind of fish, oh, yes. which we then make into a nice dish with rice, with quite spicy kind of um, uh, chilies, etc. And that would be my simple life. If I come back from a long holiday somewhere else, thing that, I look for. That's your go-to. I you know it. It just feels comfortable. I feel like you're at home finally. And uh, my family know that, and it's always ready when I come home. For example, <laughs> my poor wife well, has to deal with that. Right? So you 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 must eat a lot of those prawns because you do a lot of travel around the world, and uh, and I like the part of the spice. I'm a, I love spice myself. You, well, you're in the east end of London here, Mike. The, and this is Spice City. Wherever you go really? around here, there's hundreds of Indian restaurants around here. Uh, there's a huge Bangladeshi community where I come from. And so after this podcast, I'm going to take you across there to test some of the spicy food. I love it. Well, I'm looking forward to it. But of course, let's dive into the podcast because we do have a lot to cover here today. So thank you for that, Dr. Ahmed. So you are now the world's most viewed surgeon. That's a big deal. And I've seen you speak around the globe. It's been incredible what you have created and how you're using technology to democratize surgeon education. But one just doesn't become the most viewed surgeon on the planet. Take us back a bit, Dr. Ahmed. How did you get to where you are today? And then we'll discuss kind of what you're up to today and moving forward. But how did you get to this point of recognizing these types of technologies and platforms to, to achieve the mission that uh, brings you to work every day? So that's a really, of course, interesting question and one that I reflected on a number of times. So look, I, I'm a surgeon by background. I'm a cancer specialist. Uh, I've been here as a uh, as a consultant surgeon at the Royal London Hospital, where we're having a podcast Wonderful for the last place. 12 years. Thank you. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, a nice institution to work in. Yes. So that's my kind of background. I've also been teaching a lot and training for many years, conventionally, analog training, I call it, right? Um, I've been associate dean of the medical school here. Um, this medical school here has been for about 200 years, so we've had a long history of teaching medical students. But also as a surgeon, I've been teaching... Um, surgeons for many years uh, on the skills necessary to become specialists. So um, having seen that, I've, I, I've, I've seen the limitations of that in the sense that we can only train a few people together in the operating theatre, and sometimes we have medical students in the operating theatre who don't really get a look in. Mm. You see them in the back end of the uh, theatre or the operating room on their smartphones not engaged because it's a busy environment. So what I thought, okay, how do we change that? What happened about five years ago, technology has suddenly come in to make that more easy for us. Ten years ago, that tech was unavailable. We talk about augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, connectivity, scaling things for teaching and learning. So I then thought, you know what, we can do better. And I always wanted to do better. How do you become a better teacher? How do you use technology in a different way? And that started the whole experiment, if you like, and this journey of teaching people at scale. Um, and so you mentioned earlier in the podcast about teaching people with Google Glass, virtual reality, or even social media experiment is what is it that we need to teach how do we teach what's the knowledge base like how do we transfer that knowledge how do we share knowledge on scale you know sharing a legacy for example um rather work i do is i travel a lot go globally and frustrations of that of course 
is that we um, we it's very time consuming traveling to another part of the world showing skills i think we can do better i think we can do it remotely hence my work around holograms and avatars etc so the whole concept was how do we take learning and teaching to new level how does tech enable that to be functioned better and are we also understanding the new generation of generation z or generation y who want to do things differently whose mindsets have changed have we adapted to their mentality of learning are we creating a new paradigm shift using technology? So those are things that I've been thinking about for a long while. And I guess I've been fortunate enough that technology was available just at the right time for me to start pushing it out and utilizing it. Wow, Dr. Ahmed. So you mentioned about five years ago, you not started noticing some of these technologies coming to the forefront to be able to use and, and to scale education. What were some of those early platforms that you saw that were coming into the market that were able to uh, you were able to achieve the mission that you're currently on? So I guess going back in five years, you know, back actually 2012 or 13, I remember Google Glass coming yeah. out with a great fanfare. And I remember it was first introduced. It was amazing. I'm not sure you saw that, Mike. Yeah, but it was more on the consumer side, was it not? Uh, it was consumer. Um, and I think the way they launched it um, was around trying to find good use cases around industry. They hadn't really thought about medical education or healthcare as a whole. We thought we'd try something out in that terms. I remember the actual way it was launched. Uh, you remember this? When, oh, I do. When uh, on Moscone Building, when the Google Glass was launched, yep. you had people in an airplane above with Google Glasses, jumping off with the parachutes, live streaming as they went down, then scaling down the building, and then running in and cycling in, all viewed in real time. Are we sure that wasn't you jumping out of the plane? <laughs> <laughs> but again, that to really open my imagination. So, okay, well, oh, I remember that. They do. It's great, right? So I thought, okay, how do we translate that? It's telemedicine, essentially, mm. using a smart device on your head that you can stream. And actually, you can get great views of your point of view approach, which is perfect for surgery. Because we, we're looking at an operation and we're seeing what we're doing. How do you transmit that information in real time that's effortless, using 3G, 4G connectivity to people on their smartphones that can just watch what you're doing, for example? Great transfer of knowledge. So I immediately saw the utility in education. Wow. And so we tested out immediately with the first, really, I guess, to test out on scale. And it worked. It seemed to capture the imagination of a lot of people. The students loved the experience. Over 95% felt this was the right way to go about the future learning um, uh, platforms. At that time, was it was it a one-way? Like, Were you pushing the, the sur- surgery to, say, student Mike? Or was there engagement at that time where student Mike virtually could raise his hand and ask Dr. Ahmed a question? Do you remember that? How did that look uh, kind of V1? So just doing video isn't enough. It's a question of how do you have interactivity yeah. to create a learning platform. So what we did when we coded the um, the glass, we allowed people to watch the operation first and foremost on their smartphone, on their tablets or, or a computer. But they could also put a text message, mm-hmm. like you would do a text message on your normal phone on Snapchat, on, on WhatsApp or MMS. But what happened, that same message they were asking question would come up conveniently in the corner of the glass, wow. just coming up constantly. And this is a question by such, such and such from somewhere, right? Suddenly you're connected to that person, could be anywhere in the world. And then you're answering in real time. So you're saying, yes, thank you very much for connecting. That's the question. Here's my answer to that problem. And so we were getting a lot of these messages and we were doing it. Initially, of course, we were, because it went so viral, there's lots of messages coming up in the glass, which was difficult to manage. So we initially we said, okay, that's unsustainable. Uh, let's make sure the operation is safe. Let's have a moderator in the room who can look at all the messages and put the right question at the right time so I can 
actually concentrate and reflect on that without making it unsafe uh, for the patient, etc. And that worked really well. So it was interactivity using wearable tech for the first time at scale. And it seemed to work effortlessly. More importantly, it seemed to garner interest from the student population. They enjoyed it. They liked it. They wanted a new way of learning, which gave them more energy. So, okay, if that's where we're heading towards and you're getting value from this, where do we go next with this platform? And we created a whole platform afterwards um, using wearable tech, uh, using um, uh, doing different procedures and operations and other things in medicine, and show that on a web-based platform so people could share knowledge. The other thing I really found useful was this way we connected. And it's about peer-to-peer learning. Yep. It's often hierarchical. You know, I teach somebody, etc. What about this peer-to-peer learning? And what we found as we did this share, people around the world were connecting, talking about the case together, sharing experiences. This was a pretty global phenomenon. So it connected people. And what I really enjoyed was the fact that just by doing one simple thing, it wasn't elaborate, it wasn't expensive, but suddenly people felt empowered, students around the world, that actually I'm a part of this big world that we live in and connected. Even if I'm in remote parts of Africa or, I mean, Australia, for example, and we had 5,000 Australians beaming every time we operated. And that was, to me, an important message. We often worry about the lower middle-income countries, people with poor resources. But actually, other people feel isolated a little bit. And maybe that connective world that we live in is for everybody to share. Did you see uh, physicians and surgeons that have been practicing for many years tuning in? Uh, we had a complete mix. Oh, wow. Uh, there's those that were interested from, uh, and these were surgeons who also want to share knowledge, think about how do we go about doing this. Um, I think surgeons are very innovative generally. They want to share experiences. So I had senior people, junior surgeons, trainees, students, um, all healthcare professionals connected. Uh, and that's what emboldened me to go further. Let's talk about that going further. Mm. What is happening in Dr. Ahmed's world today? So I have a number of things I'm doing at the moment. The first thing is about um, the startups I run. Yeah. So one of them is called Medical Realities, uh, which is a kind of virtual reality, augmented reality platform for training, mm. both for students, for surgeons. And we've got a number of solutions out on all the VR platforms, including Oculus, HTC Vive, the Android iOS systems, uh, Google Daydream, etc. And this is where people are learning in different ways. So that's my startups. And I advise a few others uh, on that market as well. Then I'm working globally. I've worked with many governments, organizations. Currently, I'm working with the Abu Dhabi government, for example, as an advisor to the health department because they want to bring health tech innovation into the Middle East. They want to be a champions. And they've put $6 billion aside for innovation in technology. Wow. And they have a great vision around how do you create a really digital literate society? How do you create healthcare work of tomorrow, but today? How do we invest in that future? How do we create a startup community? How do we innovate at pace? So that's a great ambition they're having, and I'm supporting their uh, big adventure. I'm writing a book on all my experiences over the last five years and my vision around disrupting healthcare, making it more affordable and cost-effective using tech as interface. And that book hopefully will come out uh, early in the new year. I'm busy writing the chapters as we speak. And hopefully, we'll go to print fairly soon. Uh, I'm also Do we have a title yet? So the title at the moment is just called... Um, uh, health tech innovation but that's just a working title i've got other ideas that make it much more um i guess um uh, appealing uh, and we'll sort that out as we go forward any breaking news we can share on the podcast for any upcoming ti- for an upcoming title on the book do we do we, do we have it narrowed down at least <laughs> and that's a really good question <laughs> we, we have a few ideas and obviously um as a 
virtual surgeon, talking about virtual beings and virtual worlds, the word virtual might be part of that kind of um, title. But I'm still experimenting about what works best, both from a business perspective and to get impact on a global level. Well, I guess we're just going to have to do an upcoming episode as well as a follow-up as uh, in regards to when the book launches and what the title is. So, But virtual may be in there. All right. That's good to know. So besides healthcare around the globe, Dr. Ahmed, the other industry that I see that is being fundamentally disrupted from all angles is education. Mm-hmm. So when we, we hear about augmented reality, virtual reality, what you're doing in regards to live streaming some of your work in the operating theater. Do you, are you seeing those worlds convening, coming together? What does that mean for the next generation of doctor? Does, does that mean anybody around the world, no matter their circumstance, has the potential to achieve their dreams through these, these new formats of education? What, what I hope is that we democratize education. Yeah. We know that education depends primarily uh, on on two factors, and that's uh, access to uh, resource, mm-hmm. having income, necessary yep. um, resource to have education, and secondly about geography, where you happen to be born and happen to be uh, uh, living, because that, that affects the outcome of your education. So I think we can overcome some of those barriers by democratizing. So my point of view with all this is that we can anybody anywhere in the world can access world-class education, which I think is the fundamental human right, of course. Why should anybody access the best minds in the world, have access to the best knowledge? Yeah, and I think that's where I think we're heading towards. I think the other thing to port, the other important thing to remember about, say, virtual reality or mental reality is just one discipline, mm-hmm. one technology. And we've got to get away with thinking about one technology on its own. If you look at the fourth industrial revolution or the fourth health revolution, what we're talking about is a number of technologies coming together that converge at the same point of human existence the inflection point we call it, of course. And we're looking at technologies that kind of blur the lines between the physical, digital, and biological spheres, if you like. And so we talk about AI, blockchain, deep machine learning, genomics. We're talking about the VR and AR. And actually, all those things cut less to create this big environment that we're in. So I'd say, don't think about one of those technologies. How do they all work together to create this health 4.0 or a converging world of both medicine and education, and how to utilize those technologies. It can be 5G, a new mobile 5G has just been released, and I've got a 5G phone, which allows much faster connectivity. 1.5 gigabytes per second download, which is unimaginable, and 0.1 millisecond latency. Suddenly, we'd be even more connected. So I think 5G is interesting. So I think we talk about all these technologies and the Internet of Things or Internet Medical Things, Actually, 5G becomes what I call the covalent bond that holds it all together now. We're looking for these kind of things to come in to support us, and we have them available. So now the question is, how do we utilize that further? How do we make people more empowered with technology? Are we going to have education, for example, in AR, based on AI interface, voice technology enabled, for example? How do they relate together? Can we get personalized education that's you know AI-driven, so it's personalized to you rather than generic? Is that where we're heading towards? And ultimately, that's what I'd love to be doing, where we educate people, but personally, personalize education to you, looking your your the way you teach, the way you learn, for example. So that's why I say it's important to think about this whole uh, ecosystem in one go. It is very important to think about all of that, and I and I, you know, admire your work and your vision, and, and you being a futurist. But let's take it down to the ground level, though, sure. Dr. Ahmed. The healthcare industry is is very risk averse. 
a lot of things that you just said are disruptive and, oh my gosh, this is against status quo. This isn't how we've done it before, Dr. Ahmed. This is how it's always been done is that over there. While all of what you just shared sounds like an amazing future for an entrepreneur and a, and a tech disruptor like myself, what about the leaders that are, have been in it day to day that see, hey, status quo got me to where I am today. Why change? Why go to this futuristic world that you just described? And that's a really important question, Mike. And there's two things to that question. One is about the, say, healthcare workers. Yeah. How do you engage them in this world that you and I both kind of believe in for the future? The second one is about patients, which we've come to at a moment. So let's say about healthcare workers. And you're quite right. Most healthcare workers are risk averse. They're happy with what they're doing on a database. It's not challenging the, the dogma traditionally part of healthcare. So one of the things I've been doing for the last few years is putting this concepts of technology, innovation, entrepreneurship into curriculum. Mm. So I run what's called the BART's X program at my medical school. So I realized actually the students of tomorrow, um, so we're trying to create this, the digital doctor of tomorrow, but today, but curriculum hasn't been redesigned for decades to allow that to happen. So by bringing these kind of concepts early into thought process, by telling them they want to become, or, or, or at least Give them the skill sets and the language to understand this new world that we live in, to become entrepreneurs, to think about ideas, think about how we get to market, think about how we create business cases and models. We're creating that in the medical school now. So you're transforming that cohort. And then seamlessly, you have to say, okay, all the other healthcare workers, all the doctors, for example, senior positions, junior positions, how do you make them more digital, digital literate, for example? How do they understand this language that you and I both understand? That's scary at the outset. So this is what we're doing in Abu Dhabi. We're putting in place academies of learning for all healthcare workers, undergrad curriculum redesigned so wow. they understand, bring them to innovation hubs so they can think about idea generation, teach them about success and failure, as we all do as entrepreneurs. But they'd be much more, um, I guess, flexible and nimble in their approach going forward to medicine, saying, how do we keep redesigning healthcare? So a lot of it is about education, redesigning everything, so that you become digital literate. Well, and that's to the point, right? So you know you've been to the United States quite a bit, quite a bit to give your talks and, and to guide a lot of our leaders over there. You know, within the American healthcare system, we're a three trillion dollar spend at the current moment, with a with one trillion of that being wasted on the administrative side of the industry. So that's you know, I applaud your efforts with your medical school here and teaching the doctor to think like this. Mm. But what about the administrative executives, right? What is what about the CFO, the COO, the CEO? What about those leaders as well, right? Because we need them in the same boat alongside Dr. Ahmed. So how do, how do we speak to them? I, I totally agree. It is everybody in the system to misunderstand. You can't work in silos, otherwise it doesn't work. And so I think one of the things I've been talking about a lot in my talks and to various organizations is how do you put innovation at the heart of an institution or organization? What does that mean? So what that means to me is that, okay, every organization has processes uh, that can be redesigned, improved, and every person in that organization actually wants to do better. Generally, people want to improve the outcomes, etc. But what does the organization do to empower those people? And what does that mean in reality? Does it mean, does it mean we want everyone to be innovative? What ideas do you have? Think about it. Let's have group sessions together. Do you actually put the time aside in the, in the working week to mm. think about ideas? So, you know, a lot of companies now, what they do, so two, three hours a week, I don't need to work. 
think of ideas on how you can improve the processes. To make it yeah, yeah Google devotes, what, 20% of their time to, to the moonshots. Think thinking time. Yep. And we miss that. And I think society as a whole and humanity forget that other aspect of who we are, the skill sets that we bring to the table, the mind shifts, changes. Unless you invest time in that, that means money and time, then you're not going to get the best out of your workforce. In, in healthcare, let's take an example. When you're a practicing doctor, you qualify, become a specialist. Next 30 years is just about doing this almost same thing over and over again. Yes, you're seeing patients, you're providing quality of care, but we're looking at the wrong metrics. The metrics are outcomes, etc. But what we should be doing is saying every five years, we know human beings, for example, uh, lose um, interest. They have different desires. So when are we sitting down with senior people after five years? Okay, sit down with me. Doing great work, love it, great metrics, and you fulfill our criterion. How can we help you? What, can, what are your problems you're, you're facing? What do we do with you together? How do we help you? What's your next vision? Yeah, what might you want to do next? Yeah, because then that way you retain people, mm. and we have problems retaining staff in the NHS at the moment. What do we do to empower you further? Uh, I don't see that conversation happening in any organization at the moment. It becomes monotonous. It becomes driven by data and kind of the wrong metrics. And actually what we take out of the equation is that human person at the end of it. I'm so glad you brought that up because, I, and I and I'm pretty confident you'll agree with what I'm about to say. So, in a lot of my talks, what I share now is the technology is here. We, everybody everybody goes immediately to the word innovation and it immediately applies it to technology. I, I actually disagree with that. The technology is here in spades. It's the mindset. It's how we think about our day-to-day. It's how we think about what we want to achieve, the risks we want to take, fail, fail fast, right? All of that. So I think you, you nailed it, Dr. Ahmed, in regards to how do we engage the person holistically and, and give them that opportunity and that environment yeah, to be innovative. And I think that's right. It gives people the space and the freedom to do things and not be stuck with dogma. You know, There's a great quote, of course, by William Gibson that you, I'm sure, have heard of, where they say that the future is already here, it's just unevenly distributed, okay? So we have tech, we have all the things we need, but how do we make it work for us? And it's about, again, it's that mind shift change, and tech is only an enabler. And innovation isn't about technology. Innovation is about doing something differently in your life processes doesn't have to be tech oriented people get confused by that and and that's the i think we both agree where innovation stands so real quick five years from now where is dr ahmed in his work what is it what does the environment look like for dr ahmed five years from now i'd love to be in a place where i've left impact Mm -hmm. uh, on a global level or national level i've taken on some national roles already many of them think about how do we again change this um mind shift uh change across uh, different organizations across healthcare systems, also seeing where my companies might be in the future and how we can democratize education and on scale and producing uh, products that are suitable for the uh, the kind of a new generation of, of um, healthcare workers. At the same time, I think I'd like to um, be more involved in startup accelerators, running my own system in here in the UK with the university that you're in at the moment. So how do we as a university, as a hospital, as an organization, bring industry into here, how to create a partnerships that create great outcomes for data-driven healthcare. How can I help that system my network globally, my knowledge of startups in the community? How do I bring that home here and create something that's unique in the hospitals? I'd love to be able to say to you in five years' time, look at this, we've done all this work, we've got a lot of innovation going on, 
have transformed the hospital and the university. We're thinking ahead at pace. Well, being fortunate to to get the behind the scenes and VIP tour today with you here, I can see that that that's already going. It uh, feels very innovative, forward thinking, and uh, and and kudos to your leadership to drive that culture of innovation here, Dr. Ahmed. So, just real quick, two to three action items that other global leaders within our industry and colleagues can can implement in their day-to-day with your work and mission? I think it's, it's about collaboration. Yeah. So I think the key word is that we can't do it all on our own. It's impossible and it's not desirable. We've got to learn from one another, not work in silos. What do we learn from other countries, other organizations, individually? What do we share on a global level? And that's what I would say to people. I need help as much as people need help from me, for example, mm-hmm. where I'm out of my depth, where I need skill sets that are unavailable to me. How do we share that experience through industry, through organizations, through universities, colleges, individuals and startups? How do we coalesce that to form one ecosystem so that we share good practices? And that's why things need to happen. Very good. And then let's turn it back to the community. The community is very involved on this podcast. And I always love to ask our guests, can you share with our community one problem, need, or question that you currently have? that this community around the globe can be helping you with? I think the fundamental problem is about data. Um, so there's two things. One is about understanding how do we share data? What are the issues around patient confidentiality? What is that about patients understanding and empowering themselves? We don't really have an understanding of this. It's still early in its infancy. So it would be great to have some ideas about what other people are doing around the world about this old data sharing argument and kind of conversation. As well as that, it's about interoperability. You've seen it yourself. In the hospitals, things don't really connect at the moment. So how does the industry and and partnerships provide a source where we can connect the dots? The data is driven much better, get good quality data, so that we can drive healthcare in the future. And that requires other people to come and support the infrastructure, of course. So to our listening community, of course, in the episode notes, there is the uh, feedback form uh, link for Dr. Ahmed. Feel free to share your ideas on exactly uh, the problem that he just posed to all of us. Again, you can find that in our episode notes. All right, Dr. Ahmed, we're almost done with our podcast here. A couple uh, quick connectivity points for our listening community around the world to get in touch with you. Sure. So I'm available uh, to be getting in touch with anybody on Twitter, at Shafi Ahmed 5 Instagram, Virtual Surgeon, Facebook, it's a Virtual Surgeon as well. LinkedIn, I'm very big, strong on LinkedIn and, and uh, discussing conversations with my audience there, of course. Um, otherwise, my website is www.surgeon.ai. Excellent. We'll uh, share all of those connectivity points in the episode notes as well. All right, Dr. Ahmed, we're going to take this podcast home with a fill in the blank. I'm a passionate pioneer because... I think it's important for all of us to think about how we improve the healthcare, not just for ourselves, but on a global level. And I want to leave impact and a legacy so that we can say that we've tried our best to introduce new ways of thinking and design to create a better healthcare system for many people. Well, Dr. Ahmed, um, during my travels here this week in London, it has been an honor uh, and a privilege to be able to spend time with you. I know how busy you are and all the wonderful work you have going here in London and beyond. Continue that great work. I look forward to having our community uh, get involved with all of the wonderful things you're doing to improve the health of our world. Thank you for your time today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. 
We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.